Cool. All right, guys. Well, welcome to the How Do You Health podcast. I'm excited. Uh, it feels like it, it has. It's been a while since we shot one, but uh, we're excited to meet with Don Moxley today. He is the director of applied sciences Correct. over at Longevity Labs. There's a couple of things I know about you that I'm excited to talk about because I know like you're an expert on HRV. I've spent a lot of time working on HRV. Yes. And uh, you were a sports scientist for Ohio State University. I was. Yeah. And so we have, we love sports science and we have a couple of things that we want to, that I'm sure that John's going to want to riff with you about. Very good. Uh, and uh, we got an IV going, we got uh, Nurse Doza and I'm Tex-Mex Yogi. Um, but yeah, let's get the party started. We did get to meet you for the first time <laughs> over at Hadi Health Fest, mm -hmm. which we're very thankful that you got to come. I hope uh, you enjoyed everything. We really enjoyed it. It was a great, 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 it was a great event. You guys did a super job. We can't wait for the next one. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, I, I, Every person that was there, including yourself, was there because, you know, it's kind of like the best of the best, right? Like you have um, this progressive way of thinking, right? And I think that's why you even talked about this product, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, like tell us about this product for a second. So Longevity Labs, uh, we're an Austrian company, yeah. and we launched uh, about four years ago. One of our founders is uh, Dr. Frank Medeo. He's a researcher at the University of Graz. Um, and when you take a look at the science of longevity, you can't talk about the science of longevity and not talk about a process called autophagy, yep. uh, this intracellular cleaning process. Um, and when you start looking at the science of autophagy, uh, Dr. Medeo found that there is this molecule that's in every cell of your body, men, women, plants, and animals, that is a key molecule in this autophagy process. Now, it's, it's, it's weirdly named. The name of the molecule is spermidine. Um, and <laughs> and uh, the, the name comes from the guy that invented the microscope, Anton van Leeuwenhoek, was looking at semen through his... He's, so he's obviously a freak. Um, <laughs> and um, I don't know if he was trying to figure if his swimmers looked like him or what, but he, he identified these crystalline structures in his semen. They noted it then. 200 years later, another group of Dutch researchers gave it a name, and they called it spermidine. Um, and it's, that's just that's the origin story. But it, and we've come to find out a lot of research has been done in different things, but in their 80s, in the 1980s, you saw a lot of research being done around cancer um, because we see these molecules in some of the cancer pathways. Um, it's, it's what's called a polyamine, meaning it's, uh, we know, we've heard of amino acids. So these are nitrogen molecules on a carbon backbone. An amino acid has a carboxyl group. Um, so these are a polyamine. So you have multiple nitrogen molecules in a carbon backbone, which just doesn't have the acid. Um, so it's a polyamine and it's critical in a lot of these cellular pathways, particularly in the autophagy pathway. So Dr. Medeo uh, did some work, was doing some experimentation, looking at spermidine in senescent cells, uh, found out that it would reverse senescent cells in certain occasions, kept doing the work. And this is where it's grown into this autophagy uh, product. That's it's, it's just pretty hot right now. And we're working, we think this product will eventually have vitamin status. Um, you know, it's something that you get in your food. You naturally produce spermidine when you're young. Um, the older you get, the less you naturally produce. But you can replace it with dietary spermidine intake. Um, people who live in blue zones um, have high spermidine diets. Um, unfortunately, now, 
living in a blue zone means they grow their own food. It's very nutrient dense. Um, unfortunately, the rest of us don't have that privilege a lot of times that we're getting our food from uh, highly mechanicalized uh, uh, agricultural processes. And there just isn't a lot of spermidine in that food. Whether We, we extract ours from European wheat germ. Um, we've not been able to find wheat germ in this country yet that is high enough for us to run our extraction process on. Because it's uh, all GMO. There's a lot. There's a lot of issues. Yeah. And <laughs> the soil. A, and yeah. Like there's a lot of issues. Um, but uh, so our the the farming practices and, and chemical regulations in Europe are different than the states. Uh, so we have uh, we have a high spermidine wheat germ sources that we use in Europe. Um, everything is a natural extract, so we are extracting from the wheat germ. We have no synthetic product in ours at all. As you look at spermidine on the market, we're start, there's a lot of people coming into the market space right now. Right. A lot of synthetics, um, yeah. and 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 frankly, we don't know the impact. We like the whole plant aspect of of what we do. So you're not just getting the spermidine, polyamine. You're getting putrescine. You're getting spermine. There's a, there's a whole complex of po- of polyamines there, and that's what you get with our product, Spermidine Life. So this is a product to target <clears throat> autophagy. It's a product that's designed to drive autophagy. So autophagy is cell debridement. Uh, yeah, it's cellu- it's cellular cleaning. So yes. you know, when in the life of a cell, you know, cell sitting there trying to figure out what he does every day, he says, "Well, do I have nutrients on board so I can grow and divide?" Um, if there's nutrients there, there's a there's a nutrient sensor in your cell that's called mTOR. Mm-hmm. Um, and when there's when there's either insulin, insulin says, "Hey, there's food out here." Insulin like growth factor says, "Hey, there's proteins out here." mTOR sees that and says, "Oh, I'm going to town." Um, mTOR goes to the nucleus, grabs some DNA, goes to the ribosome, starts to make proteins. Um, and that, that's what drives that process. The challenge is in the ribosome endoplasmic reticulum side there, not all those proteins are made correctly. So there may be a bad fold, there may be a pro, uh, you know, an amino acid that's missing. And if that's the case, that protein doesn't go into, doesn't go in, into work. Um, and it just sits in the cell and it builds up. But when we fast... Fasting drives autophagy. This is the value benefit of fasting. When we fast, we upregulate autophagy and it digests those proteins, gets them out of the cell. Well, what we know now is that one of those key molecules in the fasting process is uh, is spermidine. It drives that. It, it's key in that autophagy um, chemical pathway. Gotcha. And as you upregulate spermidine, you upregulate autophagy with or without fasting. That's so- just more efficiency. For uh, in that process, yeah. As you get older and spermidine drops, fasting is less effective. So then your body becomes more becomes more toxic because you're not cleaning it uh, up. Well, inflamed. Yeah, sure. It's, I, I I wouldn't use the term toxic. I would. Yeah. You, you, you become inflamed, and that's the challenge. So then, if someone were to fast before or after, would you? See- think that would be the best time to take this molecule has a pretty long half-life and, and frankly we don't have the science to say before or after we don't know um we've we have typically recommended take the molecule prior to your your in your final meal okay. uh, prior to your fast um david sinclair dr david sinclair he's on our advisory board he just uh posted last week and said that you know he takes it with his morning supplements um 
you know, I'm, who am I to tell David Sinclair? Um, you know, um, <laughs> You're wrong. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But um, but if the molecule has a long half life, you know, this is a molecule that's working down deep in the cell. It's not, you know, a lot of times when you take a vitamin or you take something, it's hitting a receptor mm-hmm. at the, at the nervous organ level, right? This is working down at the cellular level. So these molecules are a little longer acting. I mean, you know, NAD um, or NR or any of the nicotinamides, um, you know, we know that they're diurnal and process in the cell. There's an an uptick both morning and evening. But by the time you put that, that piece on your tongue... How long does it take to get through the gut, into the bloodstream, around, into the cell? I, I've got a feeling it's longer than a 12-hour cycle. Um, so you get the pool up, raise the pool, and it'll take care of itself. Wow. That, it makes sense. Uh, I just I broke a fast this morning because um, I think I did multiple things to accelerate the autophagy process mm-hmm. because the end goal of fasting is, I think, uh, autophagy. Absolutely. Um, I, I think – Different people can get it in different times, right? Like I, I think the 36-hour window is kind of a sweet spot for people's goals. But, I mean, I think with certain things you can maybe accelerate it, which I think is what I was experiencing. Hence why I've done a six-day water fast before. Now, mm-hmm. Baldo's done plenty of them. Uh, I'm sure you've done plenty of fasts and you've done research on it. It's not for everyone. Trust no. me. It's not for everyone. Well, you've let, – let me be careful there. I think everyone should fast. Okay, it is the same way everyone should exercise and everyone should get good sleep and everyone should try and get their food from real sources, not processed food, and the same way everyone should try to get good light yep. and eliminate bad light. I, yeah. think those, I think those are four, and I think everyone should have a purpose. Okay, I think, I think those are – fasting is a key element to longer, better life. Now – I mean, it's in the Bible, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's, in all, it's in all the religions. Yeah, it's in all the religions. And um, and and you know, there, if you think about Mother Nature and and what it did, it was it was a great survival tool. Um, well, it's almost engraved in in like in the lifestyle of like just evolution, right? Because there was times that there was no food, so right. you just you, you had no other choice. But we to didn't fast. have refrigerators and fast food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, so you had to go a while without it, and the, and so we evolved in a in a manner to to where this became a benefit. Um, so I, I, so everyone should try and fast the same way everyone should try and exercise, but we know life, 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 you know, our modern lifestyles are, can be a struggle sometime. And, and this is where I go back to purpose. Unless you have defined a purpose that your work, that you, that you can put this against. I mean, I, I, my purpose, you know, I, I tell the story, I've had a chance to coach a lot of great athletes in my day. You know, my, I'm an exercise physiologist by training and, and I've spent a lot of time in that world and I've, I've coached Olympic medalists and national champions and all Americans and just amazing people. My favorite coaching gig ever was my daughter's eighth grade field. Hockey team. Okay. <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> I love that. The, the best, best job, best, best coaching job I ever had. I'm looking forward – now, my daughter now is 24. She moved out of our house in January. She coaches at Northwestern now, so she's you know she started her life. My wife and I are starting our what we call our third third of life. You know, <laughs> I want to coach my grandkids. I want to coach my great-grandkids. My purpose is I want to be that freak granddad <laughs> that is out there in the game. Um, you know, so, so there's got to be purpose, okay? Um, if you're – and and you know, because or else you give it up. 
or else you don't prioritize mm-hmm. the important, the hard things. Listen, it's not easy to work exercise in every day. Yeah. Okay, you've got to think about it. It doesn't happen naturally. Our environment has has those key elements: exercise, real food, sleep, and light. Our environment is naturally pushing those things away from us. Yeah. Well, even sleep, right? It's like it's hard to get to bed about a certain time. Lights, phones, all the things. Yeah. And and if you have kids, it's a whole different. (laughs) Well, it's 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 again we 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 had our kids. She's grown up. It was wonderful. I loved being the parent of my daughter. I love being the parent of my daughter. Um, But my wife and I's life is changing right now uh, because she's not in our house anymore. Um, you know, when she went, to, she went to Ohio State and played lacrosse at Ohio State. Even when she was living on campus, she was only 25 minutes from where we lived. You know, she would stop in. We had a, we had a. T- now we're, now we're, you know, we're in a. She's in a. She's in Chicago. Um, so, so our life is changing, but it has to go back to what is that purpose that we have. And and again, my goal down the road is um, is to be able to be that to be that person. You know, my my nephew. I, I have a nephew that. Um, wrestled in the Florida State High School wrestling tournament. Uh, it's almost been four years ago now. And I had a chance to go down and train with him before he wrestled in the state tournament. And, you know, I'm, you know, I turned 60 on my next birthday. You know, this kid's, this is an 18-year-old, 280-pound, playing Division One football now. And I'm like, but, you know, for one day, I was pretty good. Um, the second day was a disaster. Um, things started popping. I'm, I'm good for a day right now. Um, but um, I want to be able to do those things. So that's my purpose is to be vital and vigorous yeah. and, and, and engage in that. So it's those key elements that drive it. But so back, let's bring this tangent all the way back. Um, everyone should try and fast. It Just like exercise, it takes planning. It takes you have to work. You have to anticipate it. You have to put things in place. But I, I, I don't know how you engage in healthy life and not have fasting as part of your practice. Yeah, I, I like that you are promoting that because it is a, a, a practice. Right? Absolutely, and, and it's I definitely think, a practice. For and sure. then I think that's one thing that Baldo showed me because he's practiced it now for th- three years. So I, I do. Um, I do a three-day fast once a month, mm-hmm. and then I do a six-day fast when the se- when the season changes, mm-hmm. just to reset the gut and all that stuff. Sure. But I first got into fasting because I had torn my meniscus, mm. and I was like, I do not want to get surgery. And I started looking at just I don't know, just re- googling right, and then it's like, has anyone ever repaired a ligament? just from natural causes or whatever just without having to get surgery that was kind of like what i was looking for because like it has to have happened and if it happened for Mm -hmm. someone else it can happen and the thing that was the most common was like oh fasting fasting and it was like so i did a six-day fast and it was like man i planned for like two months before i was like right i'm ready and even now i coach sometimes people that want to start fasting and it's like well you got to load up on fat you got to do all this stuff for like you know a week you gotta before get those fat enzymes yeah, turned on like how do you make that process a little bit easier because yeah. it's not going to just be like i'm just going to stop eating now for like for three or four days no it's not no that's starvation <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> yes. that's no one does that well and but that's crazy though and 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 then i've done other things for my knee but that was a huge difference that it made well and this is the cool thing about autophagy and fasting is that anytime that you have inflammation you have low autophagy as you raise autophagy inflammation drops so when you injured your knee you're having an inflammatory response okay the knee saying and, and it's sending those cytokines and those those things down there saying heal this well 
uh, the, our challenge is that so many times our di- our diet is high in omega sixes. We're continuing to feed that inflammatory pathway. You know, it's the omega threes that feed the the resolution pathway. Um, but fasting, as you r- rank fasting up, it drives inflammation down. And when we look at what when we look at what takes us out, when we look at morbidity, mortality, the the data is clear. Inflammation is what is killing us and making us ill. So that's one of the great things. I mean, whether it, whether it repaired the cartilage or not, it certainly lowered the inflammatory response and made your knee feel better. Yeah, and and it gave it a chance, a fighting chance to yeah. like heal quicker yeah, yeah. or or not, right? So does that because I want to get into the sports stuff. Does that make a difference in the way you plan? To, to teach an athlete on how to, you know, feed themselves. Because, I mean, you, yeah. all they ever talk about, right, is, like, how these, like, NFL players, like, eat, like, a thousand calories a, a, a bite, you know, kind of yeah. deal almost. Yeah. But, but you would assume that that's such an important deal because with the women, now they're talking about, like, train during certain times of your period, right? So, like, they're getting very specific. Well, hormones change. And you sh- and if and if you're training the same throughout the entire hormone cycle, you're probably missing an opportunity. And so this is one of the, this this is expanding in sport right now. And sports funny, yeah. Um, you know, I I was at a big university, and you know, anytime that you have big universities and big big academics, you wind up with dogma. Okay, and there's a lot of there's a lot of dogma in sport. Um. And it's a cha- and, and it's challenging. One of the things, what, that, what, as a sports scientist at Ohio State, I got involved with them, and we can put a link to a video that, that's on YouTube that I've done on that program. But we, but the the head coach Tom Ryan had a wrestler that was struggling a little bit, struggling a lot actually, and um, he brought him to me to test, and I and measuring HRV became a matter of course for me uh, about ten years ago. Um, because if you don't know someone's status walking, you know, if you walked in to test with me, I don't, I don't know what you did yesterday or for the last week. I, I, you know, so my results are only as good as you are coming through the door. So we started using heart rate variability as a tool. Say, is this person ready? I used to work with uh, police officers and firefighters and they'd show up for, I had a police officer show up for a test one morning. Good friend of mine, guy I went to school with. And I'm like, uh, his HRV was below, was below 30. Um, and there's a lot of people with HRVs below 30, but if you're looking at someone who's elite, we want something 75 and above. Um, but he shows up and he, I, it was, it was in the twenties. And I'm like, I'm like, when's the last time you slept? Um, he's like, what are you talking about? I said, your HRV is really low. You're not in a, you're not in a recovered state. Um, tell me about your sleep. And he's like, well, I just got off work. I worked a midnight shift last night. And I'm like, yeah, we're not testing today. Um, he's like, how do you know that? And I'm like, well, you're, you're not recovered. So measuring recovery wound up being the big deal with the work we did at Ohio State, using HRV to measure recovery. And you can use it to, you, you can use HRV to, to diagnose problems. You can use diagnose to prescribe work. And you can use diagnose, in, you can use it in selection as well. We talk more about that. Is, is this athlete ready for what we're asking them to do. So that could become part of the selection process. There's a, there's a lot of uh, ego and there's a lot of dogma that surrounds uh, big college athletics. Um, and when you start uh, poking at that a little bit, uh, people get nervous and they're not comfortable. <laughs> 
um, and and I certainly ran into that. But I, you know, for the for the time I was there, I had a great opportunity to do a lot of good work. And um, you know, the last the last season I was with the team, we measured three and a half million data points. Mm. Um, so we're measuring heart rate, heart rate variable. We measured everything. Everything got recorded. And the thing that we did, and I think this is something if if you're into sports science or if you're a if you're a coach or a strength coach or someone like that. Something that we did that was really valuable, um, I had the resources of the U.S. government, meaning that it in, in Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is in Dayton, Ohio, and it's the largest Air Force Base on the face of the earth. Um, and at Wright-Pat, there's a thing called the Air Force Research Lab. And the Air Force Research Lab is the central repository for all of the elite warrior data whether it's SEAL or Delta in the Army or any of these elite warriors. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And, and, the, and the AFRL was looking at, you know, the Air Force knows when every screw on an airplane wears out and needs replaced, okay? They don't know when any screw in a human wears out and needs replaced. And this is the challenge. You start putting these humans in these, in these very difficult environments. How do we predict readiness, failure, things like that? So they had come to Ohio State to – use Ohio State athletes as an analog to their warrior program, you know, because, you know, when you're working with warriors, war gets in the way. Um, and so with, um, with, with us that, you know, all of a sudden I've got the resources of, of this elite lab. And one of the things we did that was just incredibly valuable. And I was working with the, um, the, the Fisher college of business at Ohio state too. I had some, I had some support there, but we took our team, and we broke them into three groups, essentially. Um, group one is someone who has achieved All-American status or better, which was, the, uh, which was our defined objective of our program. If you come to wrestle here, we expect you to become an All-American. Now, not everybody does, um, but that's the expectation. The second group were kids who had wrestled, who had worn a singlet, started for us, but never achieved All-American status. And then there was a group of kids in the room who had never worn a singlet. So, and these kids, the, these kids are very talented wrestlers. There's two and three time state champions. And the, the singlet is what again? The singlet's what is our is our uniform. Oh, I see. It's our saying. uniform. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we have so we had 39 kids on the team. I think uh, I think we had 12 in group. I think we had 12 in group one. I think we had 11, 10 or 11 in group two, and then the difference in in group three. All these kids wrestle together every day. These are very talented kids. The kids who never get in the starting lineup are very good wrestlers. But what's the difference? What selects? And so I said, I want to figure this out. And and um, one of the things, listen, the number one predictor of selection for an athlete ability to go from group three to group one, cardiovascular fitness. And this isn't wrestling, a sport that's generally recognized as an anaerobic sport. Aerobic fitness is what determines your ability to go it, at all levels. The more the more cardiovascular fit you were, the better you did. And for me, I always see that as like, how well can you control your breath throughout all that? Well, it's recovery. Yeah. It's how well you know. Listen, you know, when, when you're wrestling, you go to the bone. Sometime you're in a, in a crazy flurry. You're 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 100. You're maxed out. You're level five. Okay. You 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 either win you you win the position. You lose the position. You go out of bounds. Something happens and there's a break. Then you come back. And it's that time between when the break happens and you go go back to wrestling again, your ability to recover right there is critical. 
It's absolutely critical. And there's techniques. We taught recovery breathing. We taught, um, you know, so we taught that as a skill to the kids. And it was so cool to watch my wrestlers. They'd go out of bounds. I'd see them pick their shoulders up. I'd see them start a five-second in, five-second out breath, a recovery breath. Because if they could just get one, the, the difference at that level is minute. Yep. And just two recovery breaths can be the difference in winning the next position. Um, so... And and going in, if you don't have the eight, if you don't have enough recovered assets, recovery that you can measure with HRV, if you don't have that, you got nothing to start with. Um, so we found that HRV was critical at predicting success at the national championship level. That's awesome. so. Now, were you testing them like on every live? day, every yeah. day? That's no, awesome. in the morning. So you measure HRV first thing in the morning. So, um, so we, we want it, I, I want to see, have you recovered from the work we gave you yesterday or are you prepared for the work I'm going to give you today? That's what we're thinking about when we're looking at HRV. So as we're getting ready to go into a tournament, you know, we've, we've obviously peaked a couple days out. We've got a couple recovery days in, are we hitting recovery HRVs sufficient and, and again, we found that that number is about 75 milliseconds of what's called RMSSD. Um, it's, it's, if, you, if you wear an aura ring or if you use a Apple Watch. Well, I'm not endorsing either. Biostrap. 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 I love aura ring. I love Biostrap. There's other traditional, like there's Elite HRV that's using a traditional heart rate transmitter yep. to a phone. All great, all great tools. Um, but, um, if, if my wrestlers didn't have 75 milliseconds of RMSSD, they wouldn't achieve all American status. If, if it was below and these, we qualified the whole, we qualified the whole starting lineup our last year. So I had 10 guys at eight all Americans, first time in school history. Most we ever had, um, the two guys that did not make all American, I could have told you the first day of the tournament. <laughs> so it was incorporated into their protocol awesome. and their and their training protocol that this is it needs to be addressed and monitored. We measured it daily, and we we f so sensory deprivation floating float tanks. Uh, we floated that team 140 times that season. Floating moves the needle, um, but we also then put in recovery. There's a lot of education. Um, you know, if um, listen, when I, when I wrestled, um, I, I had a lot of success as a wrestler. I never achieved all American status, um, but we enjoyed ourselves a lot when I was in <laughs> school. Okay, um, we we had a lot of fun, and and I could, you know, I I I could go out and engage socially, drink aggressively, um, get hit the bed at two thirty when the bars closed show up for a practice at six o'clock, get through the practice and maybe even do pretty good in it. Probably mildly intoxicated at the time. Yeah. I was a tennis player. Same. Yeah. The problem <laughs> is, the problem is that even though you could do the work, you would not get the benefit of doing the work because the recovery wasn't there. And we see this now four beers before you go to bed, cut your recovery in half. Okay, so that eight hours of sleep with four beers on top is the equivalent of sleeping for four hours. Well, I, I ate uh, a bag of chips fell that was open, and so because it was open, I, I ate like it was half a bag of chip right. before I went to bed. Major V sucked last night. Yeah, okay. And I was like, come on. Like, seriously, like just a few chips? Well, <laughs> and, and, it is, and it wasn't horrible. I, I woke up. I feel great. But I noticed, and I was like, I could, I could feel the little. You bit can of a feel difference. it, and <laughs> and it, you know, so much of sport is is again that ego, 
And, you know, when, when you've trained and you've done the work and you get on the stage, you know, ego's driving so much of that. Yeah. Underlying our actual recovery can be lost in that. But there used to be a point of pride, right? It's like, I drank all night and I'm here in the morning, yeah. right? Like, and That's a bad strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, but that we, was a point of pride. Right. And we can show it to you now. <laughs> but I, I thought about that. I said, how was I even getting sleep? I don't think it was. I don't think you ever got REM sleep. I don't well, you were sleeping. You weren't getting recovery. But this. So yeah. I, I imagine if you're thinking about it from a deep sleep perspective, that's yeah. where the recovery is coming from. I imagine for majority of people. And if you don't ever get in deep sleep because you're drinking – you know, well, there, you, there you, you, you've just got that sympathetic signal carrying yeah. over almost four hours right. after your sleep. Right. Um, and if you're sympathetic, you are, you're, you're, there's, there's not at that level, there's not both. Um, right. So, right. so are athletes or college athletes now not, they don't have that type of lifestyle anymore. Like, does Oh no, they absolutely do. Oh, no, they there, there's, there's so much of it. There, there, there is so much teenagers. potential. <laughs> There's still teenagers. And, and frankly, the universities and the, the athletic departments are not prepared for this right now. So they are stuck in their old dogmas. Um, mm. You know, I did a I did a, a, a call the other day with the South African Swimming uh, Coaches Association, and I made a statement from a coaching standpoint. Anyone can go hard. Anyone can drive. Anyone can go to the stick. You know, burying someone is easy. You have to have courage to let people recover, and you have to you have to communicate. Again, that athlete does not show up thinking, "Oh, I'm going to piss my coach off today," or "I'm going to suck in practice." There's they don't show up thinking that, but there's so much environmental pressure, whether it's social things like that, and it takes courage and it takes purpose to say. I'm going to choose not to participate in this. I'm not going to drink because I know the impact it has on my recovery. If you leave that to an athlete to discover on their own, social pressure's too hard, they will they will party. Um, and and then they go into a coaching situation where the coach just buries them again. And and again, this is this is the problem and and there's the 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 collegiate sport environment, even the elite uh, uh, USA sport environment, is still littered with bad coaches. And then when you start to throw in internal trauma, the trauma that you bring with you to the setting, you know these kids who grow, these kids who play big time football, okay, they don't grow up in great neighborhoods all the time. Yeah, no. Okay, they grow up with a lot of individual trauma trying to get through this, and we put them in these in these ivory tower environments and thinking, oh, they're going to be fine. No, that that they're, they're traumatized, and then you have a coach. And you have a system that may be reinforcing the trauma. I mean, I, I tell the story that any coach, listen, practice is made for stress. It's a simple, it's a box of sympathetic stress. There's volume, there's duration, and there's intensity, right? Um, and, but at the end of that stress, at, when that practice ends, I want recovery to begin. Now, if I'm coaching a team and they have a bad practice and a kid's coming out of practice and I say, John, listen, you suck today. And if this stays like this, we're, we're, we're going to have to make some decisions. I now send that kid away with a fear response. Okay. So I, so the, the amygdala in the brain doesn't know the difference whether it's a gun or yelling sure. or fear. Yeah. Okay. It's just, it's a fear response. And I've just extended the sympathetic environment. I've just, and I'm not getting parasympathetic at all. He's not even starting to recover yet. He, there is none. And you're going to bury that kid. I mean, you know, you, you have to finish practice with love. 
Okay, you have to say, listen, it was a bad day today. Mm. Okay, it was a bad day today, but I trust what you're doing. I trust you that you're here. We love you. It's going to come together. Trust me. Okay, trust is love. Okay, that's when when that, that and it's critical for a coach to develop that. Okay, and and trust comes from predictability. Okay, if I tell you you suck and if you don't improve, we're going to change things. I I I understand. I'm off the team. Okay, if I come in and the coach says, I love you, I trust what you're doing, let's keep working on this, I know they've got my back, I know there's love there, I know I can recover, okay, Um, this is critical, and this is what drives high and low HRVs, okay, this is one, this is where it can be used for selection. And you have data on this too. We have data, listen, I, there's, I have a lot of anecdotal experiences on this, and see, do you think this could change this, uh, I guess, this habits of, or this dogma uh, now that NCAA athletes are trying to get paid? It's certainly going to change the game somewhat. That, that the NCAA athlete was stuck with the system they had, meaning that, you know, when I sign with this school, I get this strength coach, I get this training staff, I get these things. All of a sudden, athletes have the ability to get their own resources. Um and they get to build. Listen, when you look at pro situations, um, I have several. I have several good friends, uh, former classmates that were pro strength coaches. One of the biggest challenges that they had was you have a pro athlete come in who now is not has financially the ability to do what they to do what they think is best. So the pro strength coach's challenge was how do I keep this person in my environment, and not lose him to another environment, and they had to change their game. Um, and so we see a lot of this happening. You, you know, at a pro level, you have a team doctor, but um, depending on, on, on the arrangement made for the team doctor to become part of the team, it may not be in the best interest of the athlete. It may have been in the best interest of the team and the doctor, not necessarily the athlete. And the athlete says, fine, I'm out. I've got my own guy. Um, so as you add resources to an NCAA level, um, there's certainly an opportunity for that. that, that that's a good that's a good thing because everything you hear is is the opposite, right? Like, they, yeah. Yeah, I listen. I I'm I'm all about nil. I think that um, I think that any time that you give this, it, you know, listen, bureaucracies are interesting. I'm not I'm not anti-government, but I know that government, when it gets big, serves its own purpose, not necessarily of the voter. So we we've always got to keep that in mind. But we have to we have to trust the fact that listen. Anybody that's in government is there because someone voted for them. Okay, so and if you don't like it, change that. Um, but and and bureaucracies in in universities and athletic departments a lot of times can be that way too. Um, so yeah, hopefully the individual gets a little bit more control. Yeah. So then I want you to get into the conversation with about because we with HRV and blood work we mm-hmm. we do a lot of well. Um, what do you like, Eric? Right, who does all the Ironmans, and and we've seen such different improvements as we've tracked both his age. Probably goes both ways too. You, you listen. You load a bunch of nutrients on board. The body's going to see this. Oh, there, there's a stress event there. Um, so you got to pay attention. I mean, anytime that you're working with anything, any external molecule like that, the body can see that either sympathetically or parasympathetically. It can go both ways. So yeah. when we uh, have CJ, who's another member here you're not missing you're missing out on he uh he came in and he got baldo's version of his iv which mm-hmm. is a higher dose of nat okay 
And CJ obviously felt the difference. You can feel an intensity. Uh, he was just like standing up. Yeah, he was like, I can't even concentrate. This thing is going through me. For people who don't know, NAD, IVs are kind of intense. That's why we right. do a starter dose. Um, but anyway, he went home, wore a whoop all the time. Mm-hmm. Comes back and says, my HRV jumped up like 60 points. Um, That's a big jump. Um, <laughs> that's a big jump. That's a big jump. Now, keep in mind. He was – was this before after he was sick? He also got deeper sick? sleep that night. It was before or after he was sick? It was, was before. It was before. It was okay. not so, – yeah. So what's interesting was he had been tracking his HRV as a measurement to tell when he was sick or not and how he recovered. Because he, sure. t- he still tells the story all the time. Yeah. yeah. And so, so what's interesting is the recovery strain of it is what athletes are more into because he's – the way he talked about it is like, look, I could tell – when I'm recovered and I can go work out again. And I said, well, you know what's interesting? You're at like 60% recovery. Imagine where you'd be at if you were like 80% recovered, 90%. He goes, well, how do I get there? I said, not work out. <laughs> well, or, 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 or change the workout. Or change yeah. the workout. Change yeah. the workout. That you can, you know, if, if you think of working out in, in a five-zone system, uh, using heart rate as intensity, um, you know, zone one, two, and three arguably you can train in those zones and not create a sympathetic response. When you go zone four, you're starting to create more lactic acid. The body sees lactic acid as a stress and you're going and you're so you're going to start to get a stress response. We're going to get a cortisol response with that. If you keep your training below in or below zone three, and this is the this is the cycling, this is the yeah. Carmichael stuff yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, that that Lance Armstrong used. Yeah. So as long as you can do that all day. That's awesome. Because there's no stress response. Now, so that's what you got to pay attention to. So it's interesting. It brings up the good point about the sympathetic <laughs> versus parasympathetic. So CJ and all of us love to do ice baths and saunas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we've had tons of people talk about before and afters. <laughs> he wears yeah. it in there and yeah. watches his heart rate drop. Now, not before. Okay. A couple of issues there. You got to be careful. So when you put yourself, <laughs> when you put yourself, so I've done this too. Okay. Um, and when you put yourself into a heat or cold environment, the yes. body is going to naturally shift blood flow. Right. Okay. So if you're measuring heart rate using photoplasmography out on the end of a limb. It's not it, accurate. It may not be accurate. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying it may not be. So when you're doing heart rate and HRV, you really need to be doing EKG work. Right, you right, need right. a strap yeah, on your chest. That makes sense. Um, so that this is something that I've absolutely spent a lot of time looking Love at. Love it. Um, because I'm a huge sauna fan. Yeah. Um, I haven't figured out cold yet. I'm still working on understanding cold um, dosing, dose response. Um, in, a, in a sense to what? HRV response or something else? Recovery, stimulus, any of these things. Gotcha. Um, you know, um, if I put my body in a cold bath, it is not a parasympathetic not at all. It is sympathetic Correct. to the bone. Correct. Um, and there's a lot of people look at cold bath as a recovery tool. <laughs> sympathetic is not a recovery tool, okay? <laughs> now, it may be an adjunct sympathetic signal that causes a parasympathetic response afterwards. I'm with that. Um, I use sauna not to relax. I use sauna as a sympathetic signal, 
as, as as an autophagy trigger. I mean, this is this is something that I'm going after. So, and we know the data is pretty clear on sauna: 165, 168 degrees, 20 minutes. There's a therapeutic benefit. I tend to bake a little hotter than that. I'm a, I'm a 200 degree sauna guy. Um, <laughs> But uh, I'm an old wrestler. We used to <laughs> we used to ride a bike in plastics in the sauna. It was you know that was crazy. But um, but so I tend to bake a little hotter than that. Um, but um, yes, so you've got to be careful about what device you're using to measure and when, because anytime that you're doing heat or cold, you're definitely having a blood flow shift. Uh, in the, and and I, I I actually I sat in the sauna with a chest transmitter and a wrist trans and a wrist and looked and it, it, there's a huge shift. Oh yeah. Um, no, what what I love about this is that we're looking at undoing what we thought about when it comes to athletic performance, nutrition, and how we address athletes. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll use another example. Which is all tied to longevity. So it yeah. is tied to longevity. It's, it's human performance. So yeah. then think about that's what we're after. We're after human performance. So I'm gonna bring up CJ again because I love using this as an example. So one day he came in and wanted I have to pick to, on him that he's yeah, not I love here. he's not here either. <laughs> he was wearing a glucose monitor, right? One of those continuous ones. Love him. Okay. So he talked about, uh, in fact, actually. At the Music Hill Ranch, we were we, we met a mm-hmm. couple months before CJ and I were there. He's talking to me. It's Thursday night. He says, I don't get this. My blood sugar is like 160. Why is it so high? It's like 8 p.m. I said, well, you probably just ate. He goes, no, I haven't eaten all day. I was like, interesting. He goes, what do I do? I said, don't eat. That's my, you know, my answer. He goes, until when? Till your blood sugar goes down. So then he says, okay, could that be tomorrow morning? I said, well, let's try it. I said, obviously, if you can't handle it, eat something, right? But right. let's see. So he wakes up. It's still like, you know, 90-something, but by 10 o'clock, it goes to 80. Mm-hmm. Okay, 88, 84, something like that, right? He's finally in range. He's in East Austin. He drives clear across to jump to here for our lunch and learn to film. His blood sugar is like 84, goes up to like 144. A little stress. Yeah. Well, that that first one, again, the Music Hill Ranch stuff. So you're going to have a nat- you're going to have a natural jump in blood sugar with fasting because of the gluconeogenesis response of the liver. So, yep. again, we're walking around most humans in in the in our environment are walking around with a bit of fatty liver. Okay? Just it's just that it's one of the side effects of of our environment. Um, as you, it's one of, that's one of the benefits of fasting. So as you fast, the body says, Hey, wait a minute. There's, there's not, there's no, you don't have the same amount of sugar on board. We're going to go ahead and make some. So it goes to the liver and says, let's take some of this fat and turn it to glucose. So you're going to get, and this is the enzymes that we talked about. You've got to get these enzymes cranked up so that you can fast and get into ketosis and get those things that you need to happen. But stress, anytime that you have stress, you have, you know, you have that cortisol hit, Cortisol says release nutrients. Yep. Remember, cortisol is the response that we develop if a lion walks around the corner. Yep. And, and the question is, who's going to be lunch? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so cortisol drops. You get resources. Now, in, when we lived as hunter-gatherers, if we got through the lion lunch thing and we got up in the tree, we hung out there for a few hours and chilled. Okay, that was the parasympathetic response. Okay, now we live in an environment where you have paper lions everywhere. Okay, and this is the challenge. This is one of the challenges, and this is why you have to have a deliberate recovery process. I have a very good friend who's a former teammate. He's a physician out on the East Coast now, Dr. Ron Garbo. He calls it deliberate recovery. Um, and it's that practice of understanding the tools that you need to support those four big rocks in the jar that we talked about. That's right. That's yeah. right. And I, we always have talked to athletes as, you know, 
recovery is prevention, which is performance. It's the same thing. I said, if you actually spent more time on focusing on your recovery, imagine how much better of an athlete you would be. And I, I love working with athletes because they'll run through a brick wall if you tell yeah. them it will help them. Well, and, and they're, <laughs> they they're used to that. They're, they're yeah. used to that. And, and, and re- the point that you have to get through their head is recovery is when you get stronger. Okay, you get stronger during recovery. Training makes you weaker. Recovery makes you stronger. And you have to finish that curve. Um, And in the absence, you just you train yourself into injury in the absence of that. That's incredible. Uh, Going back. That's a great way to put it. I I love I'm going to use that. Uh, Going back to the sympathetic response. So the blood sugar thing also fascinating. So we measure a lot of neurotransmitters alongside hormones. Mm hmm. Uh, glucagon, yeah. but glucagon is never measured at all in any athlete. And any, and so we have athletes that do extreme stuff like fast, why they climb a 50 mile hike up a mountain. And I say, how'd you do it? They're like, well, I can control my glucagon. How do you know you can do that? They say, well, my blood sugar doesn't drop or go too high. Yeah. And I'm like, this is incredible because if you think about it, uh, we have Ironman and, and, and I say, you're on, you're working out for 10 hours. Where are you getting your energy from, right? And so we measure cortisol, the adrenaline, the norepinephrine. You have the endorphins. You have the enkephalons. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is they run out of sugar a long time ago because especially like Ironman, they have no fat. Right. So they have no storage. Well, no, no, no. They haven't. There's a lot of energy. Even in a lean, even in a lean human, there's plenty of energy on board. For where's, fat. It, where's it coming from? Well, it's either intermuscular. They, they don't yeah. have the sub, they don't have the sub Q fat right. like fat people. So do. they're draining the muscles. So they're pulling it out of the yeah. muscles. They're pulling it out of the liver. So there's, there's a lot of resources there. This, again, you take that same Iron Man, you uh, put him on a desert island and you give him, you know, the Tom Hanks, what was the movie? Um, <laughs> Castaway. You know, Castaway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give him the Castaway. He lives. They live. Um, the resources are on board. The energy's there. We just have to tune up the right. enzymes again because our environment, you know, we have all this processed sugar available to us, all this processed carbohydrate that, and, and those fat enzymes are, are, are lazy. Um, you, and the only way you get them tuned up is backing the group, the carbohydrates out. Right. Well, um, and, and I, I believe the lipolysis, right? Like mm-hmm. is, is what you're going for, which is different, I think, than ketosis, Right, because it's it's a yeah. slightly different earlier stage than ketosis, right? Well, I think it's just a, it's a different way to describe a similar process looking at different endpoints. Gotcha. Um, you know, I, I don't know how you do lipolysis and not do ketosis. I think those I two think things they go, go hand, hand in hand, hand right? Yes. I think you could take it too far with ketosis. Though, one right? is measuring the loss of fat. One, the other one is measuring the production of ketones. Bingo. So, so we want ketones as a form of energy. Our brain, our brain can use it. Signal, right? Absolutely. It's signaling, right? Yes. So yes. That, I think that's the sweet spot where people like that fasting. So there's benefit like intermittent fasting could possibly produce ketosis very soon, right? Absolutely. Okay. But when you go past intermittent fasting to prolonged fasting, that's when autophagy switches in. No. Well, let me let me take a step back. Autophagy is present all the time. Okay, it's either upregulated or downregulated. Gotcha. Okay, it's constant. There's there's yes there's there's key there is. It's a, a pathway. There's autophagy in the cell all the time. As I load a bunch of nutrients on top and I'm driving mTOR, it lowers it, but it's still there. But as I back the insulin and the IGFs up and mTOR backs off and AMPK starts up, then we start to see the upregulation of autophagy. So what is glucagon's, glucagon's effect on it? I don't know. 
Um, how, how do you measure a, a toffee? <laughs> there, there's, the, there's the issue right the, there. That's what I say. So yeah. <laughs> we, we measure autophagy by taking cells out and either putting them in electron transport in an electron microscope, or there's some process where we can count them nuclearly. Um, you can't do it in a blood test or an office. It's done in a research lab. Okay, so we, we are desperately looking for proxies for autophagy measurements. This is, this is one of the biggest objectives of our company. Okay, sure. so if I get this correctly, awesome. you're focusing <laughs> on mTOR for, for the autophagy pathway, correct? Well, as mTOR upregulates, autophagy will downregulate. So uh, mTOR is a building, is an anabolic process. Mm -hmm. Autophagy is a catabolic process. And again, think of cycles. Yep. Think of yin and yang. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So as, 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 as mTOR, as mTOR says, hey, there's nutrients on board, let's go ahead and make proteins. You're going to see a downregulation of autophagy, but not the elimination. It's not a, it's not binary on or off. Okay. It's upregulated, downregulated. So what do you, what does it take to get rid of the, the, the toxins that are there now? So is the question, what do I need to do to digest proteins? The old proteins, long-lived proteins, organelles? I want to upregulate autophagy as much as I can. Bingo. Um, now, And then IGF-1 is also autophagy signal? Upregulation of Upregulation of mTOR. Interesting. So down uh, IGF-1, so as you put proteins on board, this is the reason for intermittent fasting. You want to keep it pretty much fats in the in the period. Fats are not going to drive an upregulation of mTOR. It's not going to drive, you know, it, it probably keep AMPK up a little bit. Um, but, um, but if you put carbohydrates or proteins in, you're going to tend to drive down the autophagy signaling. That makes sense. So uh, if you go back to the mTOR, how does MK MK affect is affected by that? Like, yeah, like I'm sorry, uh, MK 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 AMP AMPK yes yes. Um, so you're going to see it working opposite. So AMPK is a signaling molecule when energy is low. So when I exercise, um, I have ATP. We use ATP as energy, adenosine triphosphate. Mm -hmm. um, as I exercise, I break a phosphate off of the ATP. It becomes an ADP. Mm -hmm. So adenosine diphosphate. If I do a bunch of that, I start to see the buildup of ADPs. When the cell sees that, it's, it upregulates AMP kinase, adenosine monophosphate kinase, and it takes AMPK, it takes those ADPs, strips a phosphate off, puts up, makes an ATP, and makes an A, and then A, and then the AMPK drops out. So that's the AMP kinase. That's where that comes yep. from. So exercise upregulates AMPK. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, fasting upregulates AMPK. So in theory, AMK with the upregulation will be producing more ATP? You're probably, no, it's the other way. As I'm, as I'm using more ATP, I'm going to upregulate AMPK. Gotcha. Okay, so, so it's, it's, the, a it's the breakdown it's a part of it. It's the, break yeah. it's the end part of the mitochondria producing the ATP. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, 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 I, think it's, I don't think this is happening in the mitochondria, but I think this is a step up. But yeah. I don't know for sure to tell well, you the truth. But the reason I'm getting at this is because autophagy in our light uh, uh, promotes mitochondrial rejuvenation. Yeah, so mitochondria run out. They, they wear out. Right. Okay? And so you want to digest. You want to get the old ones out and, and, and let the new ones reproduce because they have their own DNA. They have their own life cycles. So you want those so new ones. So they replaced. Yes, they replace. Absolutely. This is where zone two training is so valuable. This is extra. So this is where the exercise comes in. When I'm training in zone two, I'm getting a 
big AMP, a big mitochondrial signal produce energy. I need the things that produce energy, and that's what comes with good zone two. When I go into zone three, I'm probably getting that signal too, probably, and then getting some uh, some some chemical signals on top of that in the in the process in the energy production process. But but zone two work is great. This is why hunter gatherers. The, the walking is so valuable, okay? This is the byproduct. It's that zone two work drives that mitochondrial production process. So zone two would be like a like a brisk walk? Yeah, it depends on the person. Um, and and so I do all my work. So zone the, the line between zone three and zone four is when I start to accumulate lactate, okay? You, you produce a little lactate all the time, like but there's ana- a point. Like anaerobic? Anaerobic, yeah, anaerobic, anaerobic energy. But and so the body's always you know in the cytosol of the cell it's always going okay there, it's easy energy okay um, but it only starts to accumulate lactate when I'm using it so much that I can't pull the 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 byproduct of the glycolysis into the mitochondria and get it into the electron transport system yep. um, so um, so with zone two work. We never have enough of a load that we can't go ahead and just keep cranking that stuff down and not building up with lactate. Um, and that's the that's the beauty. And again, so there's no stress signal. I'm getting all the great mitochondrial work. I don't I don't necessarily recommend zone two work for athletes. I recommend a lot of zone three work. Um, but as you get older um, and you, you stop being an athlete, um, that zone two work, I had to learn to give myself forgiveness. <laughs> I had to say, you don't have to train with your face on fire all the time. Uh, like, you know, and, and that, that's hard for athletes a lot of times. We're used to, you know, if, I, if I'm not sweating and bleeding and doing something, there's no benefit. Yep. No, you've got to lower, there's benefit that comes long before that. And in my elite athletes, what we learned is I don't have to bury these people to get the training signal. You know, I, I tell this story, I actually did a video on this and I call it um, stone cutters. Uh, fire, de- uh, fire uh, detectors and thermometers. Um, you know, a stone stone cutting is hard work. You got to drill holes. You put weathers and fedges. You hit this stuff, but as soon as you hit that wedge and the rock breaks, the stone cutter quits hitting the rock. Okay. So the question in when you're working out, when does the rock break? When do we get the signal that says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and grow? Okay. Most exercisers go way beyond that. Okay, the fire, I I want to train to where I set off the fire alarm. I don't want to burn the house down. Okay, I want to set the fire alarm off so my body says, oh, get resources there. Okay, send the fire department. Let's get water on this thing. Let's get the resources there. But don't burn the house down. Just just get some smoke. Um, And again, I can go, I can hit the rock a lot more after it breaks but it's not going to do any good i can train way beyond the fire department signal the fire alarm but it's not going to be a benefit and and then the thermometer is you got to know where you're at in the process so i i I, the analogy i use is you're stuck in a freezer um with a block of ice and you're thirsty okay so we know that ice is water we just have to get it to release and we know exercise creates heat um, so if I do some jumping jacks or I do something, I can create some heat that will cause the ice to melt and I can have my water. The big question is, is the freezer at 28 degrees or is it 31 degrees? Do I need to do one degree of work to get the signal 
or do I need to do five degrees of work to get the signal? Mm -hmm. This is where HRV comes into play. This is where all these tools come into play. Heart rate, HRV, and and this works for both elite performance and longevity. Um, These things go hand in hand. Right. So don't burn the house down. Once you crack the rock, once you get the signal, stop, move on. Um, and, but we, we have a tendency. And again, I think this is a lot of ego that drives this is that, you know, listen, when you go hard and you bury yourself, it feels good. I mean, there's, there's aspects of that that just feel good. There's, there's endorphins, there's the dopamine, there's those things that come from that. There's pride. There's pride, which is, and again, pride feels good. You got to feed it a little bit, but at the same time, if you do it too much, it'll bury you. And, and there, and there's a lot of benefit that comes way before that. Yeah. And I, I will speak on this behalf because uh one of the gyms that we go to in town has some very good athletes i'm saying oh, top of the line you've got some amazing people we have in athletes town, here yeah. in this town so <laughs> you have great gyms and you have amazing athletes. right absolutely. so you're in awe yes but here's the thing you talk to them and behind the curtain they have all kinds of issues going on with you they are broken oh yeah well, the craziest is when you have a conversation with them, like, hey, what's up, man? And they're like, man, I really do not feel like go- like being here today. And then they're going at it hard. I'm like, damn, like that's what, that's a lot to say when you don't even feel like being here. Because what they'll <laughs> say is this. I asked Poe the other day. They said, I go like 100%, like pedal to the floor every time I hit the gym. I said, is that your mentality every time you walk in? Yes. So I said, so do you feel like that every time you walk in? He goes, of course not. I said, but do you feel like you have to get up to that? And he goes, yes. That's the feeling. That's the culture. That's the dogma. Um, my, you know, one of my, one of my good friends is a CrossFit world champion. Um, she's an age, CrossFit age group world champion. And one of the things we had to do with her is teach her to recover. Her coach was a former student of mine. Um, and we wound up working together and we were able, we got her uh, resting HRV, nighttime resting HRV up to 95 milliseconds. Um, again, 75 milliseconds is what we need for NCAA wrestling, all American status. My Olympic gold medalist was 125 milliseconds. I mean, so there's, and, and, you know, all my elite performers in wrestling are above a hundred milliseconds, but, but yeah, the culture, listen, the wrestling culture is the same way. You can go in and just freaking bury yourself on a daily basis. And that may, that may make you feel good. But when we start taking a look at the analytics, when we apply some science to this and say, when did the rock break? When could I have walked away? When could I have put more recovery? When could I have, it's, it's economics. When could I have invested just enough to get the benefit I'm looking for and not spent too much. It, this is an economics argument. It is not a physiology argument. It's not, but, um, but it's a longevity discussion. So, absolutely. So yeah. what's interesting is the last couple of months, all we've been focused on is getting what we talk about all the time to the masses, the people right. who could really benefit. Like diabetics could benefit from fasting. Absolutely. Right? Every, everyone can benefit everyone, from everyone, right? So, But they especially could, yeah. right? So then yeah. you say, okay – how do we get this out there, right? What translation do we have? Well, what's interesting is it starts with, you know, looking at your basic fundamentals of how you treat your body. If we can start getting to people earlier and say it's an investment. You've got to care about your body first. You, and it, 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 it look at it as an investment. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I, I had an experience here. I was teaching. I was teaching nutrition. I've had a chance to teach nutrition probably a dozen times in the last 35 years. And one of the last times I was teaching, I was teaching a small college in Western Ohio. And, um, I, and I, we were starting to talk about diabetics and diabetes and this particular school I was at had a very high athlete to student ratio. Um, 
So everybody in my class was an athlete. So we have a higher than normal African-American population. So I said in the class, I said, so how many of you have family members that are losing limbs because of diabetes? Literally every hand in the place goes up. Okay. Diabetes isn't, is, that is the issue with diabetes. It is the, it is the long-term play and, and what you want, how you want your life to be. Okay. I'm diabetic. I'm type two diabetic. I've been fighting this for 30 years. I've got the, you know, again, if the zombie apocalypse hit tomorrow, you know, we all of a sudden become very efficient people because we handle our food better than you little skinny asses. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but you know what? We don't live in a zombie apocalypse world. We live in an overfed world and we have to be, and I do not want to lose limbs. I want to be, I want to wrestle with my grandchildren. Um, and, and so this is the, it's that purpose. So you have to care for, so when I asked that question of the class, it was really interesting and I got their attention. I said, so do you, you recognize that if you follow the same pathway that these fans, you're going to be in the same place. Yeah. And, and these are very fit they're oh, division yeah. two athletes. Um, but you, 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 they have to care. Yes. You have to be able to get them to where they care about. And that's, listen, that's hard. We tend to care about others we tend to care about our our things we tend to care about and we put ourselves last and we have to change that agreed that's the number one thing we tell people when they come in here is this is the pl- the time to put the emphasis on you yeah you're the priority here your mom didn't send you in here you drove over here you walked in you know yeah. you could come in here and be anywhere else but you're here saying i think i want to change i want to be better than where i'm at right now and it's hard because the pride the ego the environment the environment. Well, the envi- because I was thinking about those same analogies, like in business, we I had that conversation with someone that's an NLP coach, and and even she was talking about how she works so hard to get to, and and it's funny because what we dug in is that she has this mentality that that uh, that it has to take a lot, that it has to be hard to get the result right. that you want. Well, that's the culture we we've, we've built in. You you have to work hard, not sleep, and go. Well, no, that's wrong. Yeah, we, we know that's wrong now. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, and and it, it's as easy as changing the mentality. Is like it doesn't have to be hard. It could be simple, right? Sometimes, and sometimes it is. Sometimes you got to break rocks. Okay, just break the rock. Yeah. Okay. Don't you don't have to break rocks every day. Yeah. Um. You know. You know. Building that house. There's some days that you that you're painting. You're not breaking rocks. Um. Yep. And um. And it and it and it's different. So it's like Popovich says, right? Is that he says pounding the rock. He says you chip away at it because you're trying to break it. But once you finally get it, you know, it took all those little times leading up to it. So I tell people it's a practice. Baldo has been instrumental in teaching me meditation and breath work and understanding what grounding looks like. You know, I, I put the focus on that as probably the most important part of my exercise routine is when am I going to ground? When am I going to recover? When am I going to breathe? When am I going to know how to relax my body? Last night, I laid down after I ran. I went to this uh, this, this breathwork seminar, and uh, the, the, the exercise at the end was you were laying down, right? And you did this chant and all this stuff. But at the end, every single muscle in my body was relaxed. Good. And, I mean, I tell people when – when was the last time you felt that, right? Because if you haven't, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like I just decide, okay, I'm going to relax now. 
your body's so wound up this entire right. time right. in sympathetic mode, you cannot just shift into parasympathetic. Well, and like you're that. going for, you're going from 100 to 80. Bingo. Okay, so you're not going from 40 to 20. <laughs> um, and that's and that's the important. And again, if you've not done this, listen. There's a lot of stuff that we do that looks kind of woo woo and looks kind of <laughs> crazy. And and someone from outside our community looks at us and they're like, "What?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, particularly when that's their culture. Sure. And and. You know, it, it was interesting with my wrestlers. I did not inter- – listen, I had some guys – some guys bought into the float tank right off the bat, mainly because we had we had support. The information that we got that the value of float tank came from the Navy SEALs, okay? So when you're, when you're comparing egos of Navy SEALs to wrestlers, it's similar. It's, and they're like, oh, if the SEALs do it, when we're in. <laughs> um, yeah. The problem is, is those stories that what you, my, my nephew is a naval special, a special operator. And, and, and when you get to know these people, Bud's training, you know, the, the ego-based training, hey, come do our Navy SEAL training. That's not training. That's selection. Okay, that's what we can do to break the weak ones off so the strong ones stay and we'll select them. That's not training. There's a big difference there. Um, So you don't have to train like Bud's training every day. I realize it looks good. I realize it feeds the ego. I realize for a period of time you may even feel good. Again, with the with the dopamine and the other neurotransmitters, you know the, the the body the body has a way of saying, hey, that was good job. You did you you really did good. You survived. But you don't want to go fight lions every single day, okay? It's exhausting. You're going to lose at yeah. some point. <laughs> well, or you're going to break. You're going to break. Um, and, and the same thing with paper lions. Um, you've got to figure out what's causing the stress, be able to be able to be present. You know, my friend Ron Garbo, he says, you can't be fearful and grateful at the same time. Mm. Yep. So if you're struggling with this, focus on, on – on gratefulness okay and and the other thing he says he says you only stress only exists in regret of the past or fear of the future when you're present neither of those exist so being able to pull in be present and and um and be grateful is a great place to start um to turn the paper tigers down um because listen we really don't deal with real tigers anymore um uh you know yeah I mean, I mean, I, I'm honest, sure yeah. somebody, someone but does, but not, we really don't. If it's you're an emails. F1 driver or something like that. Yeah. But emails, listen, I can close my computer. Um, <laughs> I don't even open it most of the time anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and, and you've got to make sure it's a sense of convenience, not uh, don't be, don't be victim to it. Um, you know, so that, that's, it's, it's important. Well, this is like notifications, yeah. right? I'll see people's phones and they're just like, boom, boom. But I'm just like, turn them off. I don't turn them off. Yeah. I don't. I check my phone at certain times of the day, and like I'm good. <laughs> and, and know that that's a paper tiger. That's a paper tiger. Uh, yeah. That's exactly. Um, and Digital tiger. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I like that. I like when we use that. Well, that's too. crazy. I I think this is a a good segue into probably kind of wrapping it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love it. Any last notes on like uh, well, so because I've tried the the life one right right like, this is this is why I tried this as well too but I gave this to my dad. And Probably a good move. Yeah. And then, so what's the difference on these other ones? So we've launched two other products in the one milligram level. We have what's called Spermidine Life Memory and Spermidine Life um, Immunity. Um, so we've added some other botanicals to this to to boost the the response both ways. But the big deal that we're announcing that what this is this is our Spermidine Life six milligram product. So we now have so this is a milligram a day. We've tested safety to twelve milligrams a day. 
we're solid. So we have a six milligram a day, a day product this that will be legit. available. Um, spermidine is legit. Yeah. So the, the, we'll we'll pull this up. So our packaging we're pretty proud of. So um, so we have uh, this flips down. So our six milligram product comes in a um, in a stick pack um, because we just can't get that much spermidine in Simple. a capsule. Um, but being an Austrian company, we have a nice Austrian um, pharmacy glass that you can mix it in. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. Well, I'm sure this will change as we go. But this is our six milligram package that uh, is available. Um, we expect it to be fully available by the end of the month um, for sale through physicians to begin or through professionals. Um, so you guys would have access to it. Um, and um, at, a, at a price per unit. Um, it's about a third cheaper than the one milligram product. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so we continue to increase our um, our our dosage potency, um, and and again develop products in this 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 longevity space. So it's an it's an exciting company to be part of. I mean, you know, I love science. I love good scientific companies, and being part of this company has just been wonderful. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about it actually, and. Uh, you know, this is this is an important part of a cellular type of longevity approach. You know, we talk about NAD and, yeah. and MR and all that stuff. Uh, this is right up there with it. Listen, I don't care if you're in this for performance or for beauty. In the absence of cellular health, you're screwed. Okay. <laughs> you, you, I mean, beauty, when you look at what, what – one of the benefits of spermidine when we look at it is an improvement in what's called epithelial stem cell production. So the cells that make your skin and your nails, the stem cells upregulate. Okay. So people who take high spermidine-level diets tend to have great nails. And one of the first things people talk when they start using spermidine is their nails about three weeks, their nails start growing like crazy. That's the upregulation of the um, – that's the upregulation of the – of the autophagy based spermidine based autophagy. Um, so whether it's beauty, uh, hair, skin and nails, hair grows faster. Uh, it replaces hair follicles faster. We got some good data on this. Um, and, um, improved immunity response, improved immune response. When you look at COVID, when you look at COVID, COVID attacks the autophagy process. So COVID, uh, takes over the beginning of the autophagy process, causes an overproduction, what's called autophagiums, and it blocks the back end of the autophagy process. It blocks where what's called the lysosome and the autophagy, where the digestion takes place. But if you upregulate autophagy, it overcomes that. So there's multiple autophagy triggers, um, not just the one immune. So uh, we actually have a study going on in Oxford right now. We're looking at spermidine with vaccination, without, uh, with, with and without spermidine. We have a study that came out in Berlin. Uh, it's now almost a year ago. Showed human immune cells supplemented with spermidine stopped COVID transmission 85, 90, 92% of the time. So when your immune system's working, yeah. viruses are not as effective. Um, just off weird question, but whatever. So with COVID, do you think it makes sense just to stop eating sometimes? I've had COVID twice. Um, once was diagnosed, once wasn't the first time I had it, I presented at a conference down in Florida. It was February, 2019, right at the beginning of this whole thing. Um, everyone after this conference got sick. I did not. Um, I came back, but I was looking at my HRV and my exercise data, and then it was it was early April. I developed what's called COVID toes. 
So it's a microthrombosis on the top of your toes. And my wife's like, what is that from? I'm like, I don't know. And we start, and it's like, literally, this is a COVID symptom. When I went back two weeks after this conference, about three weeks before the toes showed up, I see a drop in my HRV. I see an increase in temperature. I see an increase in, in, in heart rate, which is now a classic diagnostic tool. When you look at Whoop or Aura mm-hmm. or any, yep. you know, BioStrap, those yep. are the three yep. things they look yep. at. Yep. I'm like, and my workload fell out. Um, I have a bike ergometer that I can measure workload, and, and literally my workload was 60% of what it should have been. And I'm like, because I'm always looking at heart rate workload, you know. Um, I'm like, I had COVID. Now, I was heavily fasted at the time. I mean, I was buried in long-term intermittent fasting routines. I mean, I was fa- – and, and it, it wasn't just intermittent fasting on a daily basis. I was thrown in 48- and 36-hour fasts. Just, you know, when I felt good, I'd roll with it. Um, and so I don't think there's any doubt – that when you take a look at the immune response, fasting is pro-immunity. Um, so anytime that you upregulate autophagy, it's but, and it's funny though because if you look at animals all the time, if they're sick, they just don't eat. Yeah. yeah. Well, what what isn't it? What's uh, feed a fever, starve a cold? Yeah. Um. You know, so a cold is a virus. Yeah. Starve a virus. Um, <laughs> um, and on that note. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. We're about to have you on the Lunch and Learn as well, too, and that will be shot live, or there'll be a live stream on that, and then uh, and then it'll go on our on our program. But Spermidine. Um, SpermidineLife.us is yep. our website if you want to take a look at SpermidineLife.us. Um, and um, what I'll do is we'll put a, a Baldo 15. Nice. Um, to get a 15% discount. Perfect. If they order them. Yeah, we'll put that in the Sounds good. Thank you.